Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The bounce back and the most important question for your money right now. Is the correction over? We'll debate that with our investment committee. And with me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, and Tiffany McGee, the CEO of Momentum Advisors Institutional Investment Services Group, a CNBC contributor as well. Let's go right to the boards to see where stocks are. They are pacing for their third positive session in a row, fourth out of the past five. Josh asked the question at the top, is the correction over? You are seeing some signs that suggest broadening breath, which you could surmise is a good sign for the overall market. Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting mix right now. You've had this kind of surreptitious move in home builders and transports that not a lot of people have talked much about. Or if they did, they qualified it like they would go, yeah, but rates are really low. That's why the home builders are. Yeah, of course, there's always a reason. It's not it's it's not a a reason to discount that action. Same thing with transports. Um, They've they've uh, said, yeah, but it's only because everyone's getting things delivered. Well, what do transports do? So forget about all of that. It's important to just note that that's happening. You have a fresh new record high in the materials ETF. Go down the list. Look at almost every component. They're all in their own individual bull markets. Those things are not, the tech, quote, the tech trade. Those things are happening because the reopening, um, while it's not, uh, it, it's, it's not a reason to throw a parade over the pace that it's going, um, it, it's clearly happening. Stephanie and Pete have been right all along. Throughout the course of the summer, they've said things are getting better. Things are broadening out. I have been a naysayer, um, but market action is telling me that they have been correct and I have been incorrect. So for as long as that's going on, I think there is a reason to be encouraged um, that we could see continued new highs. I, as you know, viewers of the show know, Scott, I love that kind of expanding breadth. Um, one other thing I want to talk about is the three leading sectors today actually are low rates plays. Utilities. Uh, are ripping. REITs look incredible. I, I recently added Simon Properties Group, which we talked about, SPG. Right. That thing looks like it wants to break out right now. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, you know, you've got communication stocks being the best performers. I'm in Verizon in that group, but they all look pretty darn good. All right. And those so tend to have high dividends. You, you look at Starbucks up 12% in a month. You look Nike hitting a new all-time high today. You've got Shake Shack, another holding of yours, up 29%. In a month, Freeport, you mentioned materials doing well. Freeport's up 20 percent over the past month. All right, Steph, Josh just threw you a nice little screen pass, right? Easy to catch and run with, um, says you've been right. The question is now what? Right. I think everybody wants to know is the worst over is the correction behind us. What do you think? 
Well, I, I, thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. Um, I'm looking at the things that I can analyze, and I can analyze the economy, and we are seeing a recovery. And again today, we had better-than-expected manufacturing data. So manufacturing is in a V. Na naturally, industrials should do actually a very good job in terms of that sector, and it has, right? Housing has actually really been very amazingly strong. And if you listen to Lennar today, I mean, they talked about 16% new order growth. That's astounding to me. And then if you talk about materials, copper is at a 36-month high. So you, you should see a broadening out in the marketplace. Does this mean the correction is over? I don't know, Scott, but I will tell you this. What I do think is interesting is all of this M&A that we're seeing. And it started with Warren Buffett on July 6th when he bought Dominion's Pipe. And then it expanded to Uber, and then it expanded to Siemens. And then, of course, this week we have a ton of act, uh, action going on. $256 billion worth of M&A in July and August alone. Nine deals in August, over $5 billion. That's the best number ever in history. So to me, that shows CEOs are feeling more confident. And they are seeing a broadening out maybe in their business. They are seeing better visibility. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. I really do want to get another fiscal bill. That is something that's very, very important in my mind. And if we don't get it, I do think we will sell off, but I do think we will get it. Pete, look, I mean, you've been making the argument that there's more or wider breadth than people had wanted to give the market credit for, right? There's been a lot of hype, and rightfully so, about a highly concentrated move in the market from these mega cap tech stocks. But as you have looked be below the surface, Josh has just looked, Steph's been talking about it, as Josh talked about both of you making these calls that's a story that needs to be talked about more. We have had a rotation of some sort. Okay, maybe it's been a bit stealth. The question is, does it continue? And then what does that mean? I think, I think it can continue, Scott. I mean, I think when we're, we're looking at a lot of these various areas that have been participating, and you guys mentioned about the breadth of the, the move, it's, I, think it, I think there's a lot of room still for many of these various names. It doesn't mean that you, you, you lose your discipline and you suddenly just think the sky is the limit. But I think what you have to do is just continue to look at this market and know there's going to be some bumps in the road. We know the economy has very, very good parts of it right now, but also some parts that are still very weak. So I think the combination of all of that. Now, we, we talk about truckers all the time. We've talked about rails. We've talked about different areas. Steph was just talking about copper. Look at Freeport McMoran. Great example. I mean, copper, yes, finally over $3 over the last week or two where we finally broke through that. And we're seeing a lot of movement there in the material space, but it's housing, it's materials, transports. There's all kinds of different areas of the marketplace that are participating, have been participating. And especially, I want to point out, that doesn't get talked about nearly enough is biotech. When you take a look at the XBI or the IBB and you take a look at where those names are and you, those particular indexes have moved, they had monstrous moves yesterday, Scott. I don't know how much coverage it got, but those were big moves, five plus percent moves to the upside. So it's healthcare, but it's not just the main healthcare names. It's a lot of these biotech names as well. And to Steph's point, there is a lot of accelerated M&A suddenly going on as well. So could we dip a little bit again? I kind of feel like we certainly could. There's no doubt in my mind that we could. But I think that there are a lot of names right now that still are on their recovery that still have plenty of upside as well. TIFF fund manager survey from Bank of America. It's a bull market, they say. 58% of investors say a new bull market <laughs> has begun. They talk about rotating now, not chasing stocks following that huge rally from the March lows. What do you make of that? in a new bull market or not. Um, but oh, what I do know is uh, we... Oh. 
Why don't you start over so, at the top? Uh, for, forgive me, uh, Tiff. Why don't you start your answer sure. at the top just for our viewers' sake because I think your microphone wasn't transmitting at the beginning of your okay. answer. So let's begin again if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, I was saying that, you know, I, I continue to maintain that my crystal ball is a little bit cloudy. Uh, so I, I really can't answer definitively whether we are in a new bull market or not. Uh, but what I do know for sure is that we did, we, we were in um, crazy territory uh, last week and the week before. Um, it didn't feel good. Um, and now, you know, we've rallied back. Uh, and I continue to maintain, you know, the things that I like. I do like tech. I like anything tech adjacent and I like tech enablers. Uh, and, you know, we're, we've been talking about, you know, um, um, you know, what is the uncertainty, right? Is there uncertainty? Uh, you know, are, are we going to see some more volatility? And I believe, yes, um, there are a lot of questions out there. I believe the economy is kind of picking back up clearly. And, um, you know, the, the, the market is reflecting that, but we still don't know exactly uh, when we're going to get a vaccine, even though it looks a little bit positive, right? Uh, we're in an election season right now. Um, and I think the, the, the overall theme here is that um, we need to, this really is the case for, um, for diversification. We saw value pick up a little bit, uh, I think it was like, like the week before last. Um, but again, I'm not ready to give up growth and especially not tech. You know, I, I also don't want to gloss over the fact that, that there are some significant questions that still exist within the market, particularly whether stocks are too expensive um, or not. You know, certain parts of the market may be deemed to be cheap. But we have our CNBC exclusive Fed survey that Steve Leisman does all the time. And I think the most interesting thing within that has nothing to do with the Fed, uh, Steve. It has to do with how the participants in the survey view the stock market. And they say 89 percent, 89 percent of respondents of yours believe that stock prices are too high relative to their outlooks for earnings and economic growth. What do we do with that? Um, I, I think it's a it's a red flag of caution. I mean, I just think that that when they look at their earnings forecast, when they look at their growth forecast, they think the stock market is ahead of where it ought to be relative to fundamentals. Now, I mean, that happens from time to time and your traders will know how to trade that. Um, not that necessarily people at home know how to trade that. Um, they also point out that the commentary we got, Scott, was that, look, it's a bunch of stocks that are that are pushing the market higher um, and, and that that is a reason why fundamentally it looks like the market overall is out of sorts with underlying growth. Um, but I will say in a nod, another yet another nod to Stephanie, um, 67% are pointing out that the recovery is going faster than they originally forecast. They're looking at some inflationary impulses in the economy. And this may be a drum roll. 53% say the recession's over, Scott. So that's a big plus. Now, I will say 47% uh, don't think it's over yet and think there's still a ways for it to go. There are still certainly challenges to the economy. I don't think Stephanie would say we're completely out of the woods yet, but not to put words in her mouth. But yeah, the recession's over and the recovery's going faster. So that at least helps justify some of the higher valuations we have. This okay, time. I was good. I, that's where I wanted to go because I was going to say, okay, if you've got a faster yeah. recovery... Steve, if you have a recession over and then the overriding right. factor of everything is the, the Fed umbrella, then you make a plausible case for, well, it doesn't matter that 89 percent said that stocks are too expensive because in that kind of environment with low interest rates, which we currently have and are going to have forever, it seems it's justified. Yeah, let, let me just talk about that umbrella, Scott, which is getting wider and, and, and a bigger circumference around it. Um, the new thinking is that the next Fed move will be a hike. 
Uh, well, actually, that's been the thinking all along. But when does that hike happen? February 2023. So I think I'm going to go take a very long nap, Scott, for two and a half years or something like that. And by the way, that's six months longer than they uh, estimated that same uh, fact in July. So uh, th this new Fed strategy of average uh, inflation targeting seems to have an immediate effect in lengthening out how long the Fed will be low. And by the way, how much inflation it will tolerate before it hikes. So, so Josh, what, what do we do with that? Okay, what do we do with the survey? First of all, do we agree that <clears throat> stocks are, are too expensive? And if we think that they're expensive, does it matter in an environment where growth is faster than perhaps we thought it would, was going to be at this point? The recession is over, if you want to make that case. And then you've got the Fed lifting all boats. So does it matter? I just literally burst out in actual laughter at <laughs> the new thinking is the Fed's next move is a hike. Oh, that may be I'm not true. sure what else they could that do. Be, we're on, no, but we're that, on that zero. may be true. We, that okay. may be true, but we may be sure. talking about four or five years from now. Let's qualify that. Dude, the Fed has been missing its inflation target for 11 years. They're not all of a sudden going to catch up to it. So, um, sure. Great. Um, I want to ask Steve Leisman actually no, a question. No, I want you to answer that, my question um, first. Uh, no, no, no. Hold on. I want you to answer my question. Are stocks too expensive or not? That's the principal debate of what we're having uh, right now. Stocks are either are, too expensive are, at these levels or, or, or they're not. Some are and some aren't. No, but that, I also, mean. Also. Um, th that's kind well, of a cop-out answer, this, though. So I heard Steve, so I heard, no, it's not. I heard Steve uh, cite the respondents in the survey saying that uh, stocks are too high and, and some are citing that. It's just a, a few stocks pushing everything up. Whoever said that should actually um, be unlicensed and, and uh dropped out of out of the industry every bull market has leaders that push the market up that's literally how a that's how an index operates the largest stocks become larger and and grow as a percentage of that as a bull market wages on you can go back through history you won't find a bull market that wasn't led by 50 or 100 big time leadership names the names change from one era to another so that in and of itself as a verdict on whether or not the stock market is too expensive doesn't really work for me and it doesn't work for anyone who's got any uh, historical uh, context for what a bull market is supposed to look like. But you have to, um, you have to, you have to say, Fed, why, why are people saying it's too expensive, right? Why are people saying it's too expensive? Because, because it's too expensive relative to where the economy and earnings are, right? Given where the economy really is and what earnings projections truly are, do stocks, the S&P, should it be but 5% from an all-time high? I mean, I think that's the crux of the question. We're saying, well, maybe you can justify that. Well, Scott. Because if you think the recovery stuff is faster, if you think the recession is over, and you think yeah. that the Fed is your friend forever, then maybe it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole point is, if, is the recovery happening faster than expected? And I actually think it is getting, it's, it's much faster than expected. Nobody thought that you'd see a V-shaped recovery in manufacturing, right? Did you? We had the best empire manufacturing index in two years. We, I mean, th that's just astounding to me. The ISMs, the PMIs, the new orders, manufacturing is absolutely back. It's only 12% of U.S. GDP, 
but there is a multiplier effect, and that is having an effect on the rest of the economy. And the consumer is hanging in, and it is led by housing and auto. So if you think the recovery is happening faster, then you have to say, what happens to earnings? They recover faster. And the market is a discounting mechanism, and it's telling you that. It's telling you that Costin's number at Goldman Sachs of 170 is very plausible. It's very doable. And numbers actually for the S&P 500 for next year have actually started to go up for the first time in a very long time. And I would, I would um, say that the reason that is the case is because margins have stayed strong, and that's because of cost-cutting, unfortunately, and restructuring and that sort of thing. But when Stephanie, we get demand Stephanie, that comes can, can back, I, that, operating, that, operating leverage, it, that, that operating leverage is, wait a minute, let me finish. That operating leverage is very, very okay. powerful. You may not get it until the second half of the year, uh, but you're going to get it. Go ahead, Steve. I just want to ask if, if the, um, the upgrade in earnings is exactly what this current price level expects. And that really it would be a, uh, a real disappointment if those earnings did not start being pushed higher. Uh, and whether or not, Stephanie, in your opinion, is that a reason to bid stocks higher yet again? Or is that upgrade priced in and we're really already baked in the good news of this faster economic recovery yeah. of, of earnings coming back? That's a that's a fair question. So, Pete, how would you answer that? I mean, the, the market's discounted a lot. The market's factored a lot sure. in to this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think it's it, it, what, what it's come down to for me, Steve and, and Scott, is. When, I, when I'm looking at these various names, and one of the questions you threw out there, Scott, was about, you asked Josh about what names, are there names out there that, are, that have gone too fast? Obviously, there are, I think. And I'll give you a great, great example. So you look at something like Zoom. Now, this is an absolutely phenomenal company, right? They've done everything right. Their growth is absolutely extraordinary. It all makes complete sense. But as I said to you last week, this is also a stock where when we get vaccines, and we will, and it's just about the timing, and I think it's going to be early 2021, but when we do, that growth number will absolutely slow down. And I'm not saying it's going to end. It's not that they won't grow any longer, but they're not going to be growing at nearly the numbers that they have. I think that's just clear. I would throw Peloton in there. I'd throw a lot of different names in there that we've called the stay-at-home names. So we've pulled a lot of things forward, but I think you've got to look at the companies that not only were they, were they strong companies before, they might have had a weak moment or two, and then suddenly they've got growth. I'll give you a great one, and it would be in the chip space, a name like NVIDIA. It trades at a huge multiple. But when you're looking at that stock, you say, but look at the growth. And will that growth be sustainable? I think that growth is sustainable, at least for the near term. When I say that, I mean at least the next year or two, I think that there's sustainable growth there. But I think the issue is what names have absolutely <clears throat> prospered at an unbelievable rate that probably got to slow down or will have to slow down just because when we get back to that hybrid society that I was talking about last week, I think that there's going to be a lot more other there's other areas of the marketplace that'll suddenly start to reach out and get some of that market share as well, not just those that have been here for the stay at home. I want, world. I, I want Tiffany to answer that because Tiffany continues to make a bet on growth and, and some of those names, i.e. Peloton, maybe Zoom and others. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I own both of those. Um, and, and some of the ones we talked about earlier, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're sometimes trying to paint, um, you know, growth with a broad brush and we can't do that. Uh, I know, you know, I, I do believe there's still a case for Peloton and Zoom after we kind of get back to, um, you know, uh, um, 
more of like a, a normal situation, I really do think things are going to change. I don't think we're going to go back to a situation where or to, to an environment where um, people are working outside of the home nearly as much as we saw pre-pandemic. Uh, I think things are changed forever. Uh, I do like Peloton. Um, you know, I since their IPO, one of the things that I, you know, really, really hoped um, was that they would drop the price on their bike. And they did. And I love that. They just did that uh, about a week, week and a half ago. Um, and so that is a really great story. Peloton is adapting, right? So they did catch a little bit of a wave from everybody being um, in quarantine, but they've really adapted. They've dropped their price. They've introduced higher, higher price items. Um, I really see them. I like the management. I really see them, you know, kind of going with the flow and really setting themselves up to 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 take advantage of more more growth mm -hmm. once you know we um, kind of move move out of this uh, quarantine like situation. Steve, lastly, before I let you run, I mean. The, the bottom line of the, the entire conversation and maybe the, the bottom line of the conversation for the last decade, at least, is stocks are harder to value than ever. Because if you have these sort of these crises and you have the level of Fed involvement that we've had and, and more so than than arguably ever before, and then stimulus from D.C. on top of that and maybe more is coming you don't know what the value of stocks would be without any of that. So what's the true value of it with that? I, I, I would never know, Scott, but, but I have to say two things. The first is that I think an argument can be made for a higher repricing of equities overall because of the Fed's new strategy. Um, if it means the Fed is going to be much less likely to pull the trigger to end the rally or take the punch bowl away, it suggests perhaps a higher permanent value for equities in that context. The second thing I have to say is I'm not sure that's new news to the traders around here. They have perhaps sniffed this out for a while, listening to Powell, who did raise rates, and then he reversed himself. And now what's happened is there's a fundamental strategy now for keeping rates lower for longer. Before it was kind of ad hoc, and now it's written on a piece of paper. Not that the Fed couldn't reverse itself. Oh, paper? But the, I, it's, think it's it's in, it's I think it's etched in stone at this point, right? It's etched it, in stone. And, and, and I think, and I, I think that, that, that changes the, the reason calculus. why we are where we are. Because it's etched and, and, in stone. And, and the story for, yeah. And the story for Stephanie and others is, have you discounted that fact already? Or is there more yet to go? Because the Fed is not going to be hiking rates until perhaps February 2023. Yeah, especially, Steph, when you know that Whatever happens, if it's if it's bad, the Fed or somebody else is always going to be there to pick up the pieces. We've we've learned that some yeah. have learned the hard now, way. But now, others now have learned Stephanie, how to play having game. made a couple of good calls, now Stephanie, having made a couple of good calls, it's all on her now. <laughs> yeah, we're Steph, last, last word to you and then we're going to move no, on. That's all on me. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm, I, I stay humble no matter what. I've been wrong plenty of times, but. Here's the thing, like, I think the market always likes to climb a wall of worry. And so that 89% response rate, thinking that the market's too expensive, actually makes me feel better. They might have missed this whole move for, for all we know, right, in terms of actually getting into equities in March and April, right. which is what we were doing and what we were slowly recommending. So here's the thing, though. I mean, I'm looking at, and Steve, I'm looking <clears throat> at GDP for next year. I, this year, it's all messed up. I see numbers like 
5 6% for the year next year based on all of this stimulus, based on all the things that we've been talking about, how fiscal and monetary is 44% of U.S. GDP, and, and that's five times the size based on uh, if you compare it to 2008. So what if we actually do a 6% GDP number? I don't think anybody's expecting that. I don't think the market's pricing in that at all. We have three built in. Yeah, we have three, three in our survey. Leesman, we'll see. Three. Thank you, Ben. Oh, I appreciate it. That's Steve Leesman with his exclusive Thanks, CNBC Thanks. Fed survey. Other big story, top of the hour, Apple. And it is trading higher ahead of its big product event. Kicks off, as we said, under an hour from now. Josh Lipton joining us with a closer look at what to expect and maybe part of it what not to expect, Josh. So, Scott, new iPads and watches, that is the expectation for Apple's big show today. For one, we do expect Tim Cook to introduce a new iPad Air. That is a relatively less expensive model in the lineup, costing around $499, coming at a potentially good time for Apple. We know consumers are looking for devices to help them as they now work, learn, and play more at home. Remember, in fiscal Q3, Apple reported iPad sales $6.6 billion. That was a jump of more than 30%, the highest June quarter revenue in eight years for the company. We're also looking for new watches. Morgan Stanley is looking for a new Series 6 and updated low-end Series 3. The watch is a relatively small part of total company revenue, but some investors and analysts are excited about it. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures estimates that only about 10% of iPhone owners have an Apple Watch right now. In other words, Gene sees a strong potential runway for growth. Scott, back to you. Josh, appreciate it. We'll see you throughout the day, I'm sure. All right, Pete, it's your largest position. Is it a stock event at all today? Or is no iPhone well, today no, no big deal for investors? You, you tell me. I would say that it's built in. I think people have been warned that it's unlikely going to be about the phone. It's going to be more about what exactly he was just defining. Now, I think the one thing, and as big of a, a fan as I am of this stock and, as, and a, of the leadership over the last couple of decades, Scott, we got to remember that there was a lot. Pull, we talk about pull forward and we talk about all these different things. I'm, I'm here to tell you uh, the last quarter, yes, it was the best in eight years for the iPad. I think we probably all know and understand exactly why, and I don't know if that's going to be a sustainable growth sort of a part of the business, but the watch certainly is. And he was just talking about how many people actually own the watch that are, that are Apple people, very small number. 75% of those that are buying the watch are first-time users. So it gives you a little bit of an idea. There's a lot of runway there, I still think. And when I look at this company, I still want to continue to press upon the idea of this. It's less about the phone. The phone's obviously very, very important, but it's less about the phone. It's services. That's where they get all their margins, 60 plus percent. And on the wearable side, that's where they've got the growth. So when you combine those two and then throw in a, whatever's left of the iPad, you're talking about three entities that do match or even uh, go exceed what we're talking about for revenues in terms of the, the, of the, of the phone itself. I think that there's lots of room to the upside still, and I think this event's going to show you a lot more about what they're doing and advancing in health and everything else. Yeah, well, the analysts agree with you, right? Price targets keep getting bumped up. Uh, you saw probably right now, I hope you all noticed, stock's still holding on to $2 trillion in market cap, albeit barely. So we're going to see what happens at the top of the hour. Tiff, you own it. I mean, everybody on the show owns it. So give us your perspective, if you would, please. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're still fielding uh, calls from clients wanting to buy Apple off of the split. Um, and again, I think that, you know, 
part of the hype, and I, and, and I want to be I want to be careful what I say because I really do um, like Apple as a company. I love the connectivity. I love the products, um, and it really does dominate the entire industry. Um, but I think part of the hype really is part of the price is a little bit of hype, and it's branding. You know, they're amazing at branding. Um, there hasn't been um, you know in in my world a lot of chatter about this new event, um, but. I, I think you know for for our clients, they're still calling, quite, uh, really um, wanting to buy Apple because of uh, the stock split. You know, I I, I continue to, to to maintain that Apple has really you know just really dominates the connectivity space. When you hear a stat like you know 10% of iPhone users have the watch, you know I bought one for the first time uh, a watch, uh, you know in quarantine because again the, this event has really kind of has really kind of pushed people to want to um, to work out and do and, and and you know really do certain things while they can't go to gyms. I think that's going to continue. So there's definitely um, there's definitely growth for Apple, um, and you know it, it's just that there is no other company like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. I see there's some news moving on Starbucks, too. That's a tease. We're going to do that after the break. Check out this mystery chart, too. It's up 15% in a month, a retail stock, too. Just got an upgrade to buy. We're going to tell you the bullish call when we come back. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. We are back. I wanted to show you uh, shares of Starbucks. I mentioned there was some developing news here. Uh, according to Reuters, as I see on Twitter now, Starbucks says August U.S. comp sales growth for the company operated stores was negative 11 during the month of August here in the United States. August comp sales growth in China for company operated stores um, was zero. You could, I mean, the stock was about 1.2 percent or so before I noticed uh, that stock's getting a little bit of of a lift on this news. Uh, maybe the fact, Pete, and I, I don't know, we're, we're looking right now to see what July comps were both in China and the U.S. for Starbucks. You just sold your Starbucks calls. You closed out that position. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering what you make of this news. Um, China is obviously a significant part of the growth story uh, for Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So if that is at the worst stabilizing and at, at best improving mm -hmm. even incrementally, Maybe that's a positive for the stock, and that's why it's reacting, albeit slightly. Yeah, and I think the expectation was we were, were going to see better numbers, some stabilizing numbers, as you put it, for, for China. So I think that's something that is built in. Here's the, here's the story for me right now, Scott. When I look at this name, I love the name. I think they do most everything right. But I also think the reality is the stock gets really heavy when it starts getting up towards 90. So I think it's a great buy on every dip that we've had on an opportunity towards 80. I think that's great. 
But when we get towards 90, it has a very difficult time. So I just look at this one very much like I've looked at Walmart in the past in terms of at the P.E. levels. There are times I think that are a great opportunity that give us that opportunity to buy. And I think there's other times that I need to exit. And I think in this case, as it approaches 90, I just decided I need to be out. Josh, you mentioned this in, in part of your notes. We talked about it at the very top of the hour. And I'm trying to get more context for everybody on what exactly these numbers mean, you know, specifically relative to what they were in July. So you have a better idea of where the story is moving as we move forward. But what do you think of Starbucks here? I love it. I think Pete has it. I think Pete has it upside down. The stock has been up up to the 90 to 95 level uh, twice um, last summer, summer of 2019 and then in January. And when it breaks above this time, which I think it will, there'll be no resistance and no one left to sell. There will be no shareholders in Starbucks who have a loss. And that, to me, just looks like miles of green field. So um, I don't suggest that breaking through the 90, $92 resistance level will go quickly or, or will be easy, or maybe it will. They report in October. Um, but at the end of the day, Starbucks is going to do something transformative uh, for the company globally. Uh, the urban centers that they've, they've really lost as a result of the pandemic, those stores, many of them will be converted to walk-up windows, which will be... <clears throat> Starbucks to operate mm -hmm. and capable of doing higher volumes of sales. Um, they're attacking every single day part. There's not a time of day that Starbucks isn't a, rele a relevant option for consumers. And I really don't think you're going to want to be out of this stock when it takes out those resistance levels and clears out the remaining sellers. I think it's a triple digit stock. I bought it in the 60s. I bought more in the 80s on an average up. And I will continue to hold it. 2% dividend while I wait for that breakout PS. Part of the headline here, uh, I should let you know, too, is that Starbucks is saying that its sales recovery in the United States remains about six months out. Same store sales, as I said, were down about 11% in August. That is an improvement from 14% to the downside in July. The CFO is reaffirming that timeline for a U.S. recovery today during a J.P. Morgan presentation. Uh, so uh, about 3% or so of the company-owned stores in the U.S. remain closed. Just wanted to give you that update. We'll continue to follow that story as Starbucks shares move higher and are just shy of about 1.5%. Sue Herrera has the other headlines. I'll toss it over to you now. Hey, I sure do. Thanks so much, Scott. Here's what's happening at this hour, everybody. The World Trade Organization declaring U.S. tariffs on Chinese imports to be illegal. It is the first time the WTO has ruled against tariffs imposed by the Trump administration. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer says the WTO is incapable of stopping China's unfair trade practices. And as a result, the U.S. must be allowed to defend itself. Holiday spending this year is expected to increase just one to one and a half percent from 2019. That's according to a new study from Deloitte. Key factors will be how much splurging high income consumers do and how much belt tightening takes place amongst lower income households. You can go to CNBC.com for more on that study. And actor Paul Rudd doing a public service announcement urging millennials to wear masks and join the battle against recent outbreaks of COVID-19. The PSA ends with the message, wear your mask. It's science. Ugh. There you go. You're up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you very much. I'm going to button up the, the Starbucks thing one more time um, because I do see the number for China as well. As I told you that the company says sales in uh, China were flat in August. And you are seeing some stabilization because comp sales in China were down 10 percent in July. They were also down about 8 percent in June. So uh, th that's what you're seeing there. Excuse me, Prashant, what'd you say? Steph, you have a comment, I'm told. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, well, I don't own Starbucks, but um, I, um, I have in the past. And, you know, back in March and April, they had in China, comps were down as much as 90%. And then they started to improve slowly to four, down 40%. And so clearly they're making progress. And we're all watching China because they're, they're learning what, the, what to do, right? As, they, as that economy opens, and so we hopefully believe that the U.S. will follow. I, I will also say that on their conference call, because even though I don't own it, I still like the company and I want to get back in if I can, but they uh, actually guided fourth quarter U.S. comps down 12 to down 17%. So to see August down 11, that's incrementally better, and they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, and on the time frame, right, that the company has, has laid out. That, that's the important story yeah. if you're going to be an investor. Yep. And a buyer of this stock, you, you need to stay on that time frame that the company has laid out, which they say is still about six months away. Steph, thank you. We do have a bullish call I mentioned in retail today. Our mystery chart is VF Corp. Upgraded to buy at BTIG. They say they see improving demand trends heading into the winter season. It's our call of the day. And Steph, I'm coming back to you because you own the stock. I do own the stock. The stock is still down 25% year to date. So this one is the, has been pretty sore uh, to own, but it yields about 2.6%. They have 2.8 billion in cash. So that dividend is safe. That's very important. Um, and the management has, is, is really um, focused on keeping that dividend and growing that dividend. But they have great brands. They have the North Face Vans, Timberland, Wranglers, Lees, um, and they have uh, Active and Outdoor. Is If you combine the two segments, that's about 90% of their sales. So they are positioned well for the long term. Problem is only 40% of their business is DTC, e-commerce, and that kind of thing. They've got to get that higher because if you don't have the foot traffic, obviously that hurts your sales. So that's why the stock is down as much as it is. But I do like the brand. And, and compared to Nike, Nike's up 19% year to date. I just kind of feel like there's a disconnect. I think you're going to get a recovery eventually. I'm staying patient with it. The other interesting part of this story, at least according to this upgrade note, is they talk about potential M&A targets uh, and they throw out names. Canada Goose, Pete, which you own, Deckers Outdoors, Yeti, yep. Allbirds, and, and even some others. Um, what do you think about that, Pete? I think those are great names and they, they I think, would fit in the portfolio very nicely, but... Quite honestly, uh, Goose has been a very interesting, very volatile stock, and right now I'm feeling a little bit of the pain because it's, it's just had a hard time on the full recovery. But as we get towards the winter months, I think we'll see a little bit more out of them. And they've got to build up the e-commerce into a much bigger uh, aspect of their business. Steph was just talking about DTC. That, those are some of the areas where if people have enough presence, Scott, and we've talked about this many times, if you've got that e-commerce presence, you've done pretty well even throughout this whole pandemic. If not then you've had some trouble. And I think they just got to get a little bit better in that particular category. But I like this name, and I think many of those names would fit very, very well. All right. Let's bring in Rahel, who has a look at some of the other interesting calls of the day today. Rahel. Hi, Scott. Quite a few calls in very different industries. Let's start with Maxim, upgrading Gilead to buy. Price target is 88 bucks. So this is after that deal to acquire Immunomedics. Analysts say that the deal is key to Gilead, expanding its oncology portfolio and sees growth potential returning. You can see the stock is up. Uh, for actually about half a percent. Uh, Seaport Global is initiating coverage of Delta with a buy rating. Target is $43. So the note suggests that if you can stomach the current airline volatility, Delta is streamlining. It has dominance in lucrative markets, and it's well diversified. Delta is still down 42% this year, but up 92% from its pandemic lows. City is initiating coverage of Polaris with a buy. Price target is $120. So this is on continued strong demand in the outdoor recreation space, and also its strong financial positioning. And finally, Western Union, B of A, upgrading the stock to buy. Price outlook does stay the same, 
So analysts say that business has proven more resilient than expected and that its digital business has doubled. We should say the stock is down 16% this year, but stock that's part of the, Scott, that's part of the reason B of A likes the stock here. All right. We appreciate it, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon, for us. Stay tuned. Pete's got his latest trades coming up in Unusual Activity. We'll do those next. And Delivering Alpha, it is back September 30th. Number 10, the 10th anniversary, including J.P. Morgan's Mary Erdos, Avenue Capitals, Mark Lazary, Saudi Aramco's chairman, many more big name guests. You can visit DeliveringAlpha.com to learn more and register. We're back after this quick break. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back, Pete. Tracking big options buying in two electronic car makers today. NEO is number one. Pete, tell us. Yeah, we'll start out with NEO. This is going to be short and sweet. So take a look at this name. They're going into the first week of October, October 2nd expiration, and they're going for the 23 calls. They're about 75 cents. 4,000 of those, Scott, were bought today. Pretty aggressive because when you look at this, they've got a couple of weeks for this to work, and I'm in these calls. But that's a pretty substantial move to the upside. Stock was trading about 19 and a half at the time. Next on, I've got for you Tesla. Now, Tesla's been all over the map. We all know that. It's been an absolute high flyer. Traded 600,000 contracts in the first 90 minutes today. It's been sitting right behind Apple almost every day in terms of most volume. Well, today, it's got absolutely massive volume that just continues to move. They're buying September. They're going right after the 450 calls. Those are going. They're not cheap. Those are about $13. They expire on this Friday. But they bought 30,000 of those, Scott. So a big bet that Tesla can break out to the upside. They were buying the 460s. They even bought a huge number of the 500 calls as well. So these 450s, I'm in them. They'll be gone by the end of the week. They expire on Friday. But hopefully we've got a nice move. Stock was right here at 443 when they were making these buys. Asking you this next question because I, I honestly can't remember whether you do or you don't. Nicola, are you in it at all? Yeah. I've been in it, Scott. I have not been in for a little while, but early on I was in it, and I've kind of stayed away ever since. I, I think there are better places for me to go. It's an extremely volatile, very fun thing to trade, but it also can be very heartbreaking. So you wouldn't get into it now, given everything that's gone on with Hindenburg and now the SEC and things like that, or, or, or would you? I mean, you're very short-term oriented I, at times, so how do yeah. you view this story yeah, right yeah. now? 
no, no doubt about it. And I think this is a really interesting company. And I've read that article and, uh, they, that they put out. And the, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. So, yes, I would participate, but I'm not in there right now. I just really got to see something. I got to see something out there. I know that they've disputed this, and this is going to be a raising higher and higher. The volatility is incredible, and that's part of the reason that it makes it really difficult, Scott. The, the implied volatilities are through the roof because of the fact of all of what's going on behind the scenes right now. You think we'd be, well, we'd be more inclined with puts or calls? Uh, it, it, it probably depends on the day, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they are trading everything in there as well. That's been a very, very high-volume trade over the last week or so because of all this news that's been going on. But right now, I'm just not in it. Yeah. I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been compelled enough to jump in that, but I did jump in Tesla today. I mean to put you on the spot. It's just since we were talking about the others, it's I figured good. I'd ask you because I frankly didn't remember which side, if any side, you were yeah. on at the current time in terms of a yep. trade. All right, coming up, FedEx earnings are after the bell. We're going to get you ahead of those numbers with the trades next. All right, welcome back. Stephanie, I want to go through one of your new buys, and it is, drum roll, XPO Logistics. XPO. Which we, which X- we have heard on this show, by the XPO way. because Logistics. I've never- Steve, Steve Weiss is, has owned, I think he still does, Surratt owns as well, and now yeah. the Linkster does. No, I do. <laughs> I've never owned this before, actually. Um, but uh, recently met with the management team. Excellent, excellent execution this company has done. So it's transportation and logistics. Logistics is winning because of e-commerce. Transportation is the recovery story. They have a $1 billion recovery plan in EBITDA by the end of next year and a $100 million cost plan in place. So I think you're going to start to see earnings inflect higher, given the what I expect, the improvement in the economy. They have great free cash flow. And again, this management team is stellar. So small position, I still prefer UPS. But UPS has run a lot, so this one's only up 9% year-to-date. Which sets it up perfectly for after the bell tip with FedEx, which, Tiffany, you own. So what do you expect in this space as we just talk about XPO? And Steph throws up her hand for UPS. Yes, yeah, so I actually like FedEx over, EPS, over UPS. Uh, so, yeah, they, they do report earnings uh, today after the close with the um, increase in e-commerce, which I love. I think it's up about 40%. Um, during this uh, crazy time. I expect FedEx to do very well, to continue to do very well. Um, they really are positioned as the leader in um, expedited shipping and especially um, international expedited shipping. Uh, they, they're so much so the leader that they can actually set the prices. So I expect good things from FedEx. I've owned it. I own it. I've owned it for a while. And um, uh, hopefully I'll probably buy some more this week. All right. We'll look forward to those uh, numbers after the bell. Crude, meantime, is rising today. Hurricane Sally heading towards the Gulf Coast, plus a warning on the demand for oil for the rest of the year. We'll have those trades with our Futures crew coming up next. We're back. Time for the Futures Outlook. Crude oil catching a bid today despite new IEA warnings that demand still has a, quote, treacherous path ahead. Let's bring in Jim Urio of TJM Services, Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. Guys, good to see you. Uh, All right. Fundamentally, Jim, you get the first crack at this. Where are we going? Well, we talked about this on Friday because I I wanted to see something to knock it out of the consolidation range was in. Fundamentally, we got some good numbers out of China in the form of retail sales and industrial production. 
got some good numbers domestically out of the Empire manufacturing number today. We have the dollar, which looked like it was going to break out on the upside and seemed to give up the ghost on that over the last two days. But I think one thing that's not being talked about is a little important. I believe it was Morgan Stanley came out with a report yesterday that they expect the Fed's policies to cause inflation. Granted, they said not inflation until potentially 2024. But I think any mention of that I word's important. I think if it settles strong today above like 37.85, I think it's going up to 40. OK, Bill, technically speaking, what happens next? Well, short term, we moved out of a wedge pattern, consolidated, broke out to the upside today, went back this is early uh, afternoon and retested that apex is moving north again. I don't think you can chase this because there's a lot of resistance up there at thirty nine dollars. So, you know, I'm looking a little more long term. I'm, I want to be patient. I'm even looking to using the December contract, wait for a little more of a washout closer to thirty five bucks and build for the long term. That, that's how I'm looking there in long term. Short term, you can't chase it up here against thirty nine. Right, good stuff, guys. Thank you. We'll talk to you both soon. Oh, where has the time gone? We're almost done. We'll do final trades. They're straight ahead. All right, let's do some final trades now. Tiffany, you are up first. Uh, Vivint Smart Homes. They are in the business of home security and home uh, and smart home technology. The stock is up over 73% year-to-date and up 11% uh, just in the past five days. Okay, good stuff. Good seeing you today as well. Pete Najarian, you're up. We talk about chips all the time. How about some of these other guys? AMAT, Applied Materials, Scott. We see a lot of big activity in there. I think the stock's going higher. Okay, good stuff there. What about the the, uh, chip space in general, Pete? Give me quick something on that. I like them. I still like my Micron. I still like my Intel. Intel was leading the Dow earlier today. I think the chip space still has plenty of room, and I think a lot of the names that were kind of left for dead, I still think they have upside. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Stephanie Link. Yep. On the heels of that, Lamb Research, a DRAM and NAND recovery, taking market share, nice. still really has lagged year to date, so I like that one. All right. TRB. My favorite area of the chip space is sour cream and onion, in case you were curious. <laughs> I am staying long Starbucks. I think, this, I think the stock wants 100 real bad. I'm going to stick with it for a while. All right. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you on that one. I like that, too, among many other great choices, too. All right. We are having a nice uh, a day thus far on Wall Street. We'll uh, stay on top of that story. Thanks so much for watching. It does it for us. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.